Well, good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. I just want to give you a couple of things before we start. Um, one of the things that we are going to be starting actually next week, so next month, is we, uh, one of our goals is to, to help empower and grow leaders, and so we've kind of started a new role um, that will be a part of the gathering. Um, we're going to call it a worship host. I don't know if that's the best name or not, but that's just the name I came up with. Um, and if it sounds like a better name, we'll find something else. Um, but anyway, this person will be someone who works alongside uh, whoever's teaching and also the worship team um, to to lead us during the whole time. And so they would they would give the announcements in the beginning. They would be calling us to worship through through prayer and through scripture. They would lead communion. They'll they'll lead the benediction. And so this is a way to to both empower men and women in our body and to lead and to grow people in in, in equipping us as a family and equipping us to grow in worship. And so I want to remind you as well that we do start at 10 o'clock. I know it's really hard in L.A. with the traffic on Sunday mornings. It's like the worst time to get around. Um, But we do start at 10, and that's not a shameful thing. um, But as a family, we get to come together, and we get to gather together. And and if you're missing as part of the family, then we can't worship together, and we can't can't express the full picture of who we are as, as Christ has called us to a family together. And so I want to just remind you that we do start at 10. And, and so a way that, we, way that we love each other, the way that we serve each other is actually come and be here on time. And so, um, so I want to pray for us. Um, oh, one other thing too, um, we want to start next month, is we, each month we have different um, teams that do the setup and teardown. Uh, what we'd like to do as far as with that team that's, that's setting up or teardown, I don't know who it is next month, um, but if they would would think about and empower and try and lead prayer before um, before our gathering, we really want to to enter these times in prayer and to bathe them in prayer and ask the Spirit to to move. And so, if you're a part of that team, we ask you that you would after it's set up that you would lead that or you would come to that or or if you want to come and be prayed for or have other things, you can come and join that as well. And so that's going to be starting next month as well. So I don't know who's on for that, but. I'll work with that leader to do that. So let me pray for us, and then we'll um, jump into John chapter 13. Oh, Father, thank you that, um, that you love us, that you call us into your family, and that through your Spirit you empower us. And so, Lord, we pray that your Spirit um, would open up our hearts and our minds um, to hear what you want us to uh, hear today. Pray that you would convict us, that you would teach us, and that you would um, you would you would explain the depths of God to us in a very tangible way. And so, Lord, we pray that as we as we do that, and as we gather, and as you teach us, that you would empower us to go out and live that in the rest of the week. And so, Lord, we ask for that, and we know that you are powerful enough to do that, and that you want to answer that prayer. And so, Lord, we we thank you for that, and we pray that you um, will guide our time. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we come to chapter 13, and where we are in the story um, and is pretty much where we're going to be for the rest of, of the book, are kind of the final days of Jesus' life. John really wanted to focus in on this area. So Jesus' kind of the story's been building up until this point, and Jesus' public ministry is now closing, and John turns to kind of the last days of, of Jesus before he dies. And so chapter 13 kind of begins that, that process and allows us to see uh, into the upper room um, 
and really kind of the final interactions that Jesus has with, with his disciples in this very intimate, very um, um, intimate setting where they're sitting around the table celebrating the Passover um, and Jesus is giving his final words to them and teaching them kind of for, for a final time. And so we're going to begin in chapter 13 and it starts this way. In verse 1, I'm not going to read the whole chapter. We already did that, but I want to read some, some pieces of it. Um, so chapter 13, verse 1 starts this way. Now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And so I want to stop there because this is John's way of basically saying in all of Jesus' ministry, patiently, he has been showing love. He's been doing that through forgiving people, through revealing his power and miracles. He's been teaching his own. He's been teaching his children. And he says that in the start of verse 1, having loved his own who are in this world. That's what he's been doing so far. And so John says, from saying the second half of this verse is he's looking forward and Jesus will now love his followers to the end. Now, it's not that Jesus doesn't love the world. John 3.16 says that, right? God so loved the world. Um, but what John is talking about here is there's a unique, special love for his people. It's like a, it's like a husband uh, and a unique love for his wife. There's a different degree of love and care that Jesus has for his own family. It's a deeper love, it's a deeper care that's sacrificial, that goes above and beyond just an ordinary, just an ordinary love. And so everything we see him do uh, kind of in chapter 13 is really part of this love. And in this verse here, John, John wants us to know those of us who are his own, those of us who are his own, his sheep, his friends, his family, he wants, he wants us to hear something specific, unique for us. It's not, it's not an accident that Jesus' love um, for the church is compared to a husband in Ephesians 5. The truth is that, that Christ has a love affair with his own, with his own people, with his, with his bride, the church. It's not a general love that he has just for the rest of the world. You see, there, there's a kind of love that, that I can have for, for all women and for all men and for, for people that I meet. But, but when I solemnly vowed and, and made a covenant to forsake all others and, and to cleave to Jessica alone and to love her, to cherish her, for richer, for poorer, for, for sickness or health, for, for death to us part, all those things that, that we say when we get married, um, our love then becomes a slight reflection of what it means for Jesus to love his own people, to love his own sheep to love his bride. There's a deep care. There's a deep responsibility. There's a different type of love that I have for my wife and for my family. And that's what, that's what Jesus is talking about here. And if you believe in Jesus, please know and don't think of, your, of his love for you merely in the terms of love that he has for the world. His love for you is a love that takes captives and cleaves to you and, and, and cherishes and unite, uh, unifies and, and defends Think about it as a marriage covenant uh, between you and the God of the universe in which he's sworn by his holiness to love you, to love you to the end. And the good news is that, that he is the perfect spouse. He's the perfect spouse. Psalm, Psalm 89, 34 says this. It says, I will not violate my covenant or alter the words that went forth from my lips. And so the, the good news is that it doesn't matter how often we turn on him or, or how often we, we don't love him or, or, or we, we stop following him. He never stops loving us. 
the good news is that he can't love us anymore either. And so he's already done everything. And so there's nothing for us to earn in our love for him and his love for us. So if you belong to Jesus, please know and please understand that that everything we see him doing here in regards to love in chapter 13 and following is, he says and does for you. He says and does you. His love is, is great towards you and it's, it's very intentional, it's very personal and it's, it's done in the most effective manner, in the most effective way. Well, what's also true, what we see in the story and what was read for us by that is that there's a response to this. There's a, res- there's a response and a purpose that goes hand in hand um, with Jesus' love. Take a look at verse 20. As this kind of... Um, Book ends this here. It says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. And whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. So he's talking about the Holy Spirit and he's saying, When I love you, I also send you out in my name and under my authority, with my word, with my spirit, and now you're representing me. Now you're imaging me. And you represent me in, in such a way that, that if someone welcomes you and welcomes the message that you share with them, they're welcoming me. Because there's, there's love now, because of his love, there's now a purpose for God's people. There's a purpose for you and me to be ministers of Jesus' love. And so when, when others experience and receive Jesus, they're welcomed into the family by the Father. That's what John 1.12 says. Whoever receives me, God has given the right to become children of God. And so Jesus is, Jesus is empowering, he's authorizing his own people to image him to the rest of the world in a very unique way so that they would know what, what intimate love really looks like. It's why one of our goals this year is, is purposeful discipleship and prayer of not yet believers. There's, this is in line with that. There's something to do that, 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 um, that, we, that we do um, because of God's love for us. And it's not that, that we have to do that, but, but we get to do it because of his love has been lavished on top of us. And so if we go back to the story, we kind of get to see what it looks like to live this love out. Um, what a life will look like when we image Jesus to the world around. And I want to say that it looks like humble service. People of high standing, God's family, His representatives, um, those who have every spiritual blessing in every realm, that's what Scripture says, are now the ones who go low in humble service. So despite your standing in the kingdom, you take a position of a lowly servant, a humble servant. Take a look at what Jesus says in verse 3. Jesus, knowing that God had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God. This is a statement about who Jesus is. This is telling you about how high he is. That Jesus has everything. That he is God. And that he's returning from the earth to go back to sit on the throne. He's saying Jesus is very, very high. His rank is supremely high. Now, if you remember in the story, too, um, this, Jesus just doesn't have this, this high heavenly status at this moment. Um, but just a few days prior to this, Jesus had just rode into Jerusalem and everyone was anointing him as the king. We talked about that last week a little bit. His, his, and his first act as the king was to go in and cleanse the temple. And now they're getting ready to celebrate the Passover, which is really celebrating him saving them from Egypt as a people. 
And, and you can, I can kind of imagine the disciples now, they, they kind of came into this and the, the, they're, they're all excited and they're getting kind of amped up with anticipation of, of Him bringing in the kingdom and He's the long-awaited Messiah. And you can almost, they can almost see it and they can almost taste it and they're excited and they're, they're waiting for it. And, and Jesus is the biggest deal in the city right now. Good or bad, everyone wants to know where Jesus is and what He's saying and what He's doing. And so they're with him, and in verse 4, it says this. Jesus rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So if you can imagine the scene, they come into the room kind of buzzing with excitement. And after a long day of, of walking in the dirt, on dirt roads with their sandals, where, where everyone kind of just threw their stuff, where animals drop their stuff and, and people drop their stuff and there's no storm drains, there's, there's no trash pickup. And you can kind of only imagine maybe what is on their feet. And they come in and they sit down and they're talking and they're getting ready to, to have have this meal and over in the corner of the room there's a bowl and a towel used for washing feet. And this job is usually reserved for the lowest servant in the house. And often it was done by a non-Jew. Someone that they considered lower than them. And then we have these contradicting words. This is the scene and Jesus gets up and he takes off his jacket and he rolls up his sleeves and he gets down on his knees and he begins to wash their feet. The one that is supremely high goes low. So as you think about this, as you think about this scene and the disciples, why why do you think no one else stepped up to, to take that role? To take Jesus' spot in washing the feet? If you're new with us, you get to talk when I ask a question, just so you know. So why, why do you think no one else stepped up to take Jesus' spot? Because it's, it's gross, okay? Yeah, it's a dirty job. No one wants to do it. Unless you're going to be on the Discovery Channel or something. Yeah. What else? Not long okay, yeah, not long before that. They were, they were talking about who is the highest. Yeah, if I'm the highest, there's no way I'm doing that. Yeah, good. There's pride in their position, right? Yeah, good. What else? Yeah, I think that's the second step, right? We'll, we'll, we'll get to that in a second. But why, why do you think they, 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 didn't, they didn't start to do it themselves? Yeah, when I'm the CEO, I don't go and like pick up the trash that I see on the floor. I, I call the janitor to do that. Right? My, my role determines my worth. And, and people may assume that I'm worthless if I do that. I want a good spot in Jesus' kingdom. But the reality is in Jesus' kingdom, that's flipped over. That's, that's opposite. And we're free now to play any role because our worth is already secured. Our worth is already secured. So Katie kind of touched on this. What do you think was going on in their minds as they see Jesus do this? You say their minds were kind of blown. Yeah. What else? What do you think was going on in their minds? Clearly for Peter, there's a little bit of shame. No, 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 no. 
this is gross and you're way too good for this. Yeah, for Peter, he's like, I'm going to show them what they're supposed to say when he comes over. Right? Like, let me, let me show the rest of you. Like, don't do me, Jesus. Like, they let you do it, but no, you know. You're supposed to say, no, no. Right? Yeah, he, he's got some other, some, something else going on. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Maybe they were just waiting for someone else to come in. Yeah. It's possible. They're sitting there. I don't know how long they were in there before this happened. We don't know if Jesus was hanging out there for 10 minutes and then all of a sudden, all right, I'm going to go do that. But yeah, we, we know he's intentionally did it. But yeah, maybe they were waiting. What else? What do you think was going through their minds when they see Jesus doing this? Yeah, I'm sure there was a lot of confusion, right? The king is doing the job of a servant. There's, there's something inappropriate about that. Yeah, in their minds. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure it would be pretty uncomfortable if like Jesus rolled up in here and he's like, let me, let me take off your shoes and clean. Yeah, like it would be pretty uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm sure there's lots of thoughts that are rolling through their heads. Yeah. Yeah, we're, they're, they're thinking like, oh no, now where am I? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Well, good news is that, that Jesus doesn't just do this and then sit back down and then like we don't find out about it. He explains what he's doing and he's washing the disciples' feet. In verse 12, he says this. He says, do you understand what I've done? You call me teacher and Lord and you are right, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher has washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do as just as I have done. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is the messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So Jesus is fairly clear here. Jesus is saying, I understand that I'm pretty high. I understand where my rank is. I understand my standing. And, and, and therefore, by, by, by ordinary standards in this world, I should be served. But instead, he contradicts that. And he says, he says from my height, I'm going to go low. From his high standing, he's going to serve lowly. In verse 15, it says, I've given you an example that you also should do just as I've done you. So he's saying, he's saying since you're not above me, you have no grounds to say that, that my action doesn't apply to you when I asked you to go do this. A servant is not greater than his master, nor is the messenger greater than the one who sent him. Basically, if I'm the highest high, and the highest high has gone low, then you that are lower, whatever standing you have, you should also go low. So remember, this is in the context of verse 20 that I read earlier, um, of really... This, and Jesus is showing them and telling us what a kind of person who's qualified to actually, and the one who's suitable for the high calling in verse 20. In verse 20, remember it says this, the one who received God is the one who was sent out to image him to everyone else. And so he's saying, I want to make it clear, this is what it looks like. Those who are fit for that kind of role who's going to image me are people who gladly go low who step down from their privileged high standing and engage in lowly serving. 
This is really what Philippians 2 talks about as well. It says, let your whole life have that, that mindset of an identity that you're a servant. It's why we have one of those things as a, up there every week for you to read that we're servants. It's part of our identity. That everything you do in life, you do with the view of, of getting under others to lift them up. Not getting over others to look down on them superior. I want to remind us, yes, you do have a high calling. But no, you and I are not qualified for it. And if we need to hold on to those honors and hold on to the titles and the rank that you have, you're not imaging, you're not going to do it in Jesus' name. That's what he's saying here. Jesus says the only people that are suitable to represent me are the lowly, are the humble, those that see their need of me and willingly serve other, the servant-like, the self-denying, and, and can I tell you, that's, that's why uh, one of our goals this year is to grow leaders as well. And we're, we're looking for leaders who would foster this in people. We're looking for humility over proficiency. That's how we, that's how we image the gospel. So what's really going on here is when Jesus is washing their feet, he's really giving them a picture of the gospel. He says it's a physical picture of, of a deeper reality. He's saying, he's saying, you have a physical need to have your feet cleaned. But, so that we can really eat this meal together and celebrate me. But there's a deeper reality that you really need to understand. That you need to be cleansed and you need to be covered with my blood. And I'm willing to serve you and meet you at the lowly place of cleaning your feet. But guess what? I'm going to get even lower than that and I'm to wash your entire heart. To wash you clean. So I can make you clean so that you can be with me. And so when he gets to Peter and Peter says, No way are you washing my feet, Jesus. And Jesus says, you need to be willing to let me wash your feet because if you won't let me do that, there's no way that you're going to let me wash your heart. Peter, you think this is servanthood for, for, me to let, for you to let me wash your feet? Wait until tomorrow. You'll see what real servanthood really looks like. I'm going to be stripped of all of my clothing. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be spit on. I'm going to be slandered and this, with the, from the same people that I actually created. And I'm going to be nailed to the cross so that I can wash your heart. I'm going to go so low so that you can be counted high. You see, Jesus lives his entire life with gospel intentionality and he infuses the gospel into everything and everything he does is really a picture of a deeper reality. And he he goes on and says, I'm going to serve the ones who betray me even. That's what he he does in in the rest of the story here. He tells Peter that, that he's going to deny him and he tells Judas right after this to go set up the plans to betray him. In verse 18 and 19, we see Jesus talk about Judas. And, it's, it's, um, and, and he says this, not, not, we're not going to take, he's not going to take the position of a servant to image me to the world. And what Jesus is doing here when he kind of puts Judas out here is he's contrasting the life of Judas with the life, kind of a life of greed and selfishness and, and living for myself compared to someone else who's actually willing to serve and be low. He says this in verse 18. You can turn there. He says, not all of you will be sent out as servants, Jesus says. I'm not speaking to all of you. I know who I've chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. He. So just to be clear here, Judas 
is not part of the 12 because Jesus made a mistake, because he slipped up, because he made like a bad draft choice and he can't get out of it now. No, Jesus specifically chose Judas to be on his team. He chose him to be one of the 12 because Scripture must be fulfilled, that a traitor would be at his very table. This is the plan. This is what God designed from all eternity past. It's what he's prophesied about in the Old Testament. And Jesus knew it when he chose Judas that this is what he was doing. John six sixty four reminds us of this. It says, Jesus knew from the beginning who it was who would betray him. So Jesus knew from the very beginning that this was going to take place. And yet, he still serves him. He still teaches Judas. He still walks alongside him and invites him in to his table. What grace is that? What grace is that? That he willingly serves someone knowing that he's going to spit in his face and betray him to death. You see, I think often when we think about serving, we have this subtle idea in the background that that if I serve someone and be kind to them, they're going to be kind to me and they're going to appreciate me. But often, that isn't the case, is it? And really, if that's the goal, if that's what that you need in order to continue to serve, that, that they would respond properly, then you've missed the point of service. And really, that's for affirmation from others or even for yourself. So you'd feel good about yourself. And I want to say that's actually pride. It may look like humility on the outside, but it's actually pride if that's what we're looking for. You see, humility is really when we serve out of love for the Father to show the way that Jesus served us. Jesus willingly and joyfully served you and me and every other person on this planet who rejected him, who denied him, who exalted themselves above him, who is the one who actually is truly exalted, and that he humbled himself below them. That's true servanthood. What we see here also in Jesus' knowledge about what he's going to do as he's serving them is that Jesus raises himself again to the highest rank. He's saying, from the, he's really saying, I'm God, I know what's going to happen. Which makes all of this foot washing really even more amazing and more powerful. Jesus says, I'm, gonna, I'm telling you this now. I'm telling you this now that, Jesus, that Judas is going to betray me. So before it takes place, that when it does, so that you may believe that I am he. My foreknowledge of Judas's sinful act is a pointer to my deity. That I am Yahweh. That I am the great I am. That I'm the one that spoke to you or to the people in Exodus. He's, he's saying, I'm proving to you right now again that I'm God. And I'm telling you what God looks like. And that God is one who willingly serves those who are lower than him. What amazing love and grace that is. And again, what we see in the final verses in 33 through 38 is Jesus proves his deity again by telling Peter that he's going to deny him three times. And, and then he says this to disciples. He says, you can't follow me now. Take a look at this in verse 31. And when Jesus is going out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me just as I said to the Jews. So now I also say to you, where I am going you cannot come. 
A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterwards. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, Will you really lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. And so why does Jesus say you can't follow me here? Why does Jesus say you can't follow me here? I want to say there's some bad news to that. The bad news is really that they had no ability in themselves to follow the role of the servant. Jesus had just told them to represent him, to image him, and to, to, to this is what it's going to look like. And, he, and then he says, you have no ability to do it. Knowing they couldn't follow him because they were, they were morally unable to do it. They were unable to deny themselves to take up their cross and follow him. Really, this is no different since the very beginning of time we've seen this to be true. No human has ever walked the face of this planet except for Jesus has had the, has had the ability to image God on their own. Not you and not me. Not Mother Teresa. Not, not anyone else you can think of. The whole story of Scripture is really complete. There's no one that's denied themselves and followed God. And Jesus says, You think you can follow me, Peter? You're not even going to make it through the night. And it wasn't just Peter who failed. They all failed. In a few chapters on, we'll see that John tells us that Peter didn't just, wasn't the only one that didn't follow and ran away, but they all did. John 16 says this, Jesus says, Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. That's bad news. They were not ready to make the sacrifices necessary to follow the crucified Messiah. And the bad news is that you and I have no ability in ourselves to muster up the strength to follow Jesus either. To give our lives to humbly serve other people. But the good news is what Jesus was about to do that wasn't just as an example to inspire them or, or see, do it like this. It wasn't just an example. It was a substitute to save. To give them the ability and to give you and I the ability um, to be who are now, who couldn't follow, to now follow. If we keep reading in chapter 14, which we'll get into next week, Jesus tells them this. He says this, where, why they can't follow him is, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And you know, the where, you know where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. In other words, you can't get to the Father beside Jesus. You can't get to the Father assisting Jesus. You can't get to the Father behind Jesus. Instead, we go to the Father through Jesus, depending on Him. Jesus says, you can't follow me because, because I'm going to die for you and thus become, making a way for you to get to God. You can't follow me. Only I can do this. This is my work alone. It's nothing you can do. You can't do it. You can't earn it by serving enough, by looking like a humble servant, by doing a couple things. Even dying for me is not going to do it. 
said, Peter, even you dying for me is not going to do it. It's only my work. Look at the good news he says to Peter in verse 36. Jesus says to him, Where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterwards. That's good news, isn't it? Right? That, that we will follow afterwards because Jesus is going to make the way. He's going to be the substitute. He's going to say, I'm going to pay for all of your sins, all of your failures, and then you will come through me, trusting me. No one comes to the Father except through me, and that's what I'm doing tonight. I'm making a way for sinners to come to the Father, and only I can do that. You can't follow me there, but afterwards you'll be able to follow me there through the power of the Holy Spirit. And can I say that's really good news? That's really good news for us. Because no longer do we have to stumble along trying to figure out how do we serve? How do we, how do we go from high to low? How do, we, how do we try to follow Jesus' example? Instead, the light has shown us the way. And the darkness has not been swallowed up in it. You see, there's a reference to, to, to the night. And it says that the, it was the night. It was, at the, it was in the night in verse 30. That's not merely just telling us what time of day it was. One of the major themes that that keeps coming up and keeps being echoed in this book by John is this picture of light and darkness. And so the book of John really began with these words in John chapter 1 verse 5. It says this, The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. In 9.4 it says this, We must work the works of him who sent me a little while while it's day. Night is coming when no one can work. And this verse 30 says, the night is here. It's night. They, there, there were work they could do together while it was day. They did it for three years. And that work is completed now. And the night has come. And Jesus is now making good on that statement that he is the light of the world. That no one else can actually do the work. That, that no one can do the work of saving except for Jesus. And Jesus does it not, not in spite of the darkness... But with the unexpecting, really, God-ordained help of the darkness. You see, only Jesus can destroy the darkness by enveloping the darkness. Only Jesus can abolish death by being swallowed up by death. Kind of like Jonah and the whale and the fish, whatever you want to call it. Jesus, only Jesus can disarm Satan by surrendering to his servants. Because Jesus has the ability to be the perfect substitute for all. And only Jesus has the power to not only be swallowed up by death and be swallowed up by darkness, but to raise from the dead and to walk out of the mouth of the grave and to prove that He is the Most High God and that gladly and and joyfully went low so that you and I could follow. And that's really good news. And can I say, that is what we share with people. That is what this city needs to see and needs to hear. That's what your co-workers need to hear. That's what your family needs to hear. It's what your neighbors need to hear. It's not just, oh, isn't so-and-so just a great servant? Aren't, don't they do great things? No, Jesus is the one to follow. He's the one who's gone where only he could go. And he's done what only he could do. And so now we get to image and live in a way with the world around us so that we would point them back to him and say, don't look at my servanthood. This is only a, 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 a dim picture of what Christ's servanthood is to me that I'm trying to image to you now. And so that's what we get to live now. 
That's what we get to be, a people who, who willingly look at Jesus going from high to low and say, I'm going to live that way now in the power of the Holy Spirit because He did where I couldn't follow, but now I can afterwards because He gives me His Spirit to empower me to live in this way where we once again can be people who image Him to the world around us. And can I say that looks like servanthood. It looks like humbly submitting to whatever God asks you to do in the moment regardless of what role you think you have or what role you, or how people may think it's going to put you in the status of things, that we humbly come along and serve the way Jesus served us. And really that's what we do as we go to the table. We, we remember that. We remember that Jesus' body was broken and that his blood was poured out, that he went lower than anybody else could so that we could be lifted up, so that we could follow. And so as we go to the table, we're going we're gonna to have the team come back up. They're going to sing some songs. But, but I want you to go to the table celebrating that. Celebrating that, that now we have a very high standing. We have a high standing and a high position that, that only we could have because of Jesus. But that doesn't give us rights to lord that over people and to look down on them, but to get underneath them and point them to the one who, who led us the way that we can now follow. And so I want to pray, and then when you're ready, you can go with those around you. Um, there's four tables in the back. Um, and, and spend some time celebrating and praying, um, reminding each other of that. Keith is going to jump on us over there. I saw you sneak back in. Let me pray for us. He wants to get celebrating quick. Our Father, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that, um, that you didn't look at your position and say, no way I'm going down there. No way I'm lowering myself or humbling myself to do that. But yet you willingly and joyfully came and served the very people that betrayed you. You willingly served me. You willingly served us, your family, who still betray you now who say, I follow you, and yet often turn to our own things. Father, I pray that you would instill in our hearts this humble attitude and this humble life of a servant. And that when people see it, that they wouldn't see us and we wouldn't say, yeah, that's great, I'm glad I got to do that. But we'd say, I only am doing this because Jesus loves me and because of his great love and service for me. And that we'd point people in this city back to you so that they could follow you as well. Father, we confess they do not need us, they need you. So Father, we pray that that, we would boldly proclaim that to all who would hear and that they would receive that message like like you promised and you would call them and bring them into your family. So Lord, I pray that we be people that purposefully and prayerfully run after that. And, and try to image that in our lives in the power of the Spirit. So Lord, we ask for an extra measure of Spirit to be poured out on us so that we might live in this way. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.